If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Real Birth Podcast, the show where real parents share real birth stories and get really honest about how it went. You might be a first-time expectant parent or on your eighth baby. Perhaps you're a birth worker, or maybe you just love learning about birth. Whoever you are, you are welcome here. This podcast aims to educate and empower listeners through the real stories of mums and dads. I'm Lucy Hill. I'm a birth worker, mum of two boys, and a complete birth nerd. Join me as I invite all kinds of parents to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to the Real Birth Podcast. Now I don't know if you can hear the pitter-patter of rain in the background but I am actually recording this intro section to this episode in the car. It seems to be one of the few quiet places that I can access on an early morning after nursery drop-off so I'm just waiting for a little cafe to open but yeah apologies if you can hear all of the rain in the background and probably some passing traffic. This week I have an amazing guest her name is Jo and her labour birth and postpartum experiences were truly a roller coaster. At her 20 week scan joe and her husband had the news that their baby had a life-threatening heart condition this meant that the baby would require open heart surgery very soon after birth because of the baby's heart condition the couple were planning an induction however joe's waters broke early and what followed was the journey to hospital in peak bank holiday traffic at queen's funeral anyone uh, which more than quadrupled their estimated journey time of an hour and this all happened without any access to pain relief after she was born and while she was in the nicu joe's daughter developed a rare bowel disease a completely separate and random condition which was only picked up during a routine scan for her unrelated heart issues now i'll happily spoiler this episode to say that Joe's daughter is now a really healthy little girl despite her challenging start to life. Here is Joe to tell her story herself, and I really hope you enjoy hearing it as much as I did. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's really great to meet you and to be back recording generally. So, could you just take a moment before we jump into your story to tell us just a little bit about who you are and a little bit about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name's Joe. I am a primary school teacher from Devon and I live with my now husband. We just got married uh, two weeks ago. So, um, Wow, congratulations. Very newlyweds. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I keep calling him my boyfriend. I'm like, no, actually, we're, we're married now. He's my husband, which makes Aww. me feel very grown up. Um, and our daughter, Milia, who just turned one on Saturday and our cat who is our our fur baby oh that's lovely you've had a big big month (laughs) yes it's been very busy (laughs) (laughs) thinking about having children is that something that you always wanted and was this pregnancy something that was a planned pregnancy or was it a surprise for you it's been something I always wanted I I think that was possibly why I went down the primary school teaching route because I enjoy being around children so much and I was really looking forward to living the moments that I see as a teacher but as a mum one day so you're always behind the scenes helping out with nativities and helping out with their harvest festival service and watching them in assemblies getting certificates and things and I always was looking forward to having that moment as a mother to watch that happen with my my children and Malia was very very planned she took took a bit bit of time for us to get her but she yeah was very wanted and very planned what was the moment like when you found out you were pregnant do you remember where you were and how it went yeah so I had I was getting ready for work and after work that day I had an MRI scan booked for my lower back and I had 
said that I wasn't going to take any pregnancy tests that month because I was getting a little bit deflated with always seeing the negative results. So it hadn't even crossed my mind to think that I could be pregnant. And then I thought, well, I've got an MRI scan. I, if I am pregnant, I can't actually have that because of it being an x-ray. So I'll take a test just in case. So it was about 10 past six in the morning in the bathroom and I saw the sort of one line appear and was like oh yeah okay that's yeah that's fine it's another negative and then really slowly a second line came down making a cross and I just was so shocked even though we were trying I just hadn't expected it to be positive and I had a few moments by myself in the bathroom having sort of a happy cry and then I snuck into my partner who was asleep and woke him up and showed him the test and we were very happy and I had to ring the hospital and cancel my MRI scan (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then go into work and try and keep it to myself all day because I didn't know how far along I I was I knew it was sort of early days but um I didn't want to say anything it's barely sunk into your head let alone anyone else's so (laughs) and how did your pregnancy go in that kind of first trimester did you have lots of symptoms how are you feeling no actually it was um very smooth sailing I felt almost sort of not cheated because I guess it's not very nice when you hear people saying that they feel sick and they've, they've been sick but I didn't have any of that I just felt a little bit tired and had like a few sort of cramping pains but I had no other symptoms I I had quite an easy an easy ride in the in the early days which I'm thankful for now because it kind of worked out a little bit rocky towards the end so um, I was grateful to have a sort of bubble a blissful bubble of the first Mm -hmm. couple of months of just really relaxed really happy really sort of connected to myself and really excited about Mm -hmm. becoming a mum yeah So as your pregnancy progressed, what happened when you got closer to that 20 week mark? And I assume when you went for your scan, that something came up at that point for you. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, so for our 20 week scan, um, my partner and I went together. And we didn't realise that those scans take a long time. We didn't know that they were anomaly scans. We thought they were just the scans you go to and find out if you're having a boy or a girl, um, which is what we were really excited to find out and about 45 minutes into the scan the sonographer said I'm, I'm going to stop because you know baby's being really wriggly I can't tell you what the sex of the baby is I haven't done a full complete scan but everything looks okay but you'll need to come back in a couple of weeks weeks time just so I can have a really good in-depth look at the spine and at the heart so two weeks later I went back so technically a 22 week scan And I went by myself. I said to my partner, there's no point you coming with me because I'm just going to be popping in, popping out again. I was expected to go into work. They let me start a bit later. I was um, aiming to be there 10 o'clock in the morning. And um, yeah, I went I went in and the first thing she was able to tell me was that we were having a little girl. And I just remember sort of crying because I was really happy that um, that was what we were going to have. And I was thinking of ways to tell my partner what we were having, sort of like doing a gender reveal for him. And then she was doing her in-depth checks. It was was a different sonographer. And she said, "Um, I'm looking at the heart and there's a shape that I'm needing to look for and I can't actually see it. And I don't know what the significance of that is. I don't know if it's because... I just can't see it or if it's not there and if it's not there then that could be a problem but it was all said very very light and very um she didn't seem too worried so I didn't feel too worried at that point so I went out into the waiting area and I texted my partner and I said oh they're saying that they need there's something to do with the heart but they, they don't seem too worried about it so I'm okay um I run work and said oh, I might be a little bit later but then I got taken into another room and a consultant came in with sort of paperwork about heart defects and that was when it sort of hit me that this could actually be quite quite a serious thing so um my partner had left work and came over to see me and we had to ring Bristol and Bristol Children's Hospital and managed to get an appointment for the next day with the fetal medicine unit. Wow, that's amazing because Bristol are excellent, aren't they, with things like heart defects. So living where you live, I suppose it's not a thousand miles, is it? You're kind of the next 
next county over I guess yeah so, so was it at that next day appointment that you were able to look a bit deeper and discover actually what um, the issue might be yes we um, went into the fetal medicine unit in the Bristol sort of maternity unit which is just off of the main room where everyone else is waiting for their scans which I found quite confronting sort of because mm. I thought it was a specialist area where everyone was going to, who were looking into potential problems but it was just yeah mostly women who were just there having their their checkups and everything mm-hmm. like that which I found a little bit difficult and then you get called in through like a separate little door um mm. into yeah which um sort of mixed feelings and then we went in and there was a consultant there with a sonographer and a nurse and they were doing a scan of um, baby and were sort of whispering amongst themselves and then they asked us to go sit in another room while they sort of discussed things and at this point we had no idea what was going on we didn't know if it was going to be really bad if it was not a problem at all We, we were kind of just in a little just trying to keep ourselves protected by not getting too worried or too upset until there was something to get upset about and um there was a book in the middle of the table and I picked it up just to have a look at it and there were all these pictures of babies hooked up to monitors and they'd had like their chest cut open and they had tubes going into them and I was just like whoa and my partner said what's that and I was like oh it's a really scary book like we don't need to look at that that's not going you know don't worry um but yeah, actually we did because we then found out that our daughter had a very sort of severe complex heart defect called transposition of the greater arteries, which is where her pulmonary artery and her aorta were the wrong way bound and she needed to have open heart surgery as soon as she was born to, to fix the problem. And they used the scary book to sort of talk us through the steps of what her surgery would look like and what recovery would look like and that was a tough day (laughs) once you'd had all these conversations with consultants I imagine you're then going home and almost trying to do your own research without frightening yourself further do you feel like you were able to gather the information you needed was there enough of kind of resources out there to support you in that moment between finding out and kind of the rest of your pregnancy yeah, there, there were a few different things online. There were a few different NHS pages. There were Instagram pages. There's a small independent UK-based charity called Tiny Tickers who okay. have leaflets and booklets and support groups on Instagram and Facebook and things like that, which were really helpful. And also a, a Heart Southwest Families page where I was connected with other mainly mums um, but I think dads are on there as well and it was through there that I made some really great connections of parents who had been through it and who were just sort of lifelines throughout my whole pregnancy and then the whole time we were in hospital there was one mum in particular who I met this weekend for the first time she actually came down for Millia's first birthday and her daughter had had the same operation and everything that Malia had had and she's just been my absolute rock throughout this whole time I would message her you know day or night with questions or worries or feelings that I had and just knowing that somebody knew what I was talking about was just really reassuring and also to have a successful story of her daughter to sort of give Mm. you a bit of hope to get you through it so yeah yeah there was there was a lot of information around they gave us some leaflets as well from the hospital which we were sort of I was reading in and out of on the car journey home it was our anniversary of when we met that weekend so we'd booked to stay down at Watergate Bay in Cornwall oh gorgeous we decided let's still let's still go even though we were really sad and sort of processing the news we were like if we're going to be sad let's go somewhere pretty and talk it through and yeah that's what we did because the surgeon uh, not the surgeon the consultant said to us you know you've got a lot to think about read the information and if you decide to continue with the pregnancy, this will be sort of what happens. So we mm. went for a really long walk along the beach and we decided that, yeah, we were absolutely going to continue because the odds of her survival 
were good. What was the prognosis in that sense? What were the what kind of numbers were they giving you in terms of success rates of this kind of surgery? And how real was the fear that things might not end happily? Without surgery, babies would they wouldn't make it yeah. after a couple of days. But with surgery, we were told there was a ninety percent chance of success and probably the same percentage of her going on to just living a normal life which is a good percentage but obviously as like a first-time new mum you're just focused on that 10% and you're like oh that number's just a bit too high for me because we were already in the unlucky one in 125 who have a baby that's got a heart defect what if we're in that unlucky 10% Mm. that don't make it because they're even though it's quite a straightforward I say that straightforward surgery um because it obviously is very very complex but compared to other heart defects they essentially are just switching the plumbing around but there's mm-hmm. still a lot that can can go wrong um yeah, of course. so it was a lot to think about and a lot to talk about but um once we had decided we were all in that was when we named her and uh, we wrote her name in the sand down at Watergate Bay and we said to each other we're going to bring her back here when she's bigger mm. when she's healthy and we're going to do it again and yeah we got to so that's... spoiler alert there's a happy ending <laughs> oh that's that's really wonderful so yeah. as the rest of your pregnancy progressed and you kind of got your heads around what was happening what how did your plans for your birth change what were you thinking initially before you had this information about how you would like your birth experience to look and what were your options now you knew that this was not a straightforward pregnancy and birth situation? Very early on I think I wanted a home birth just because I read a little bit about hypnobirthing before even being pregnant and sort of knew enough from there that essentially you need to be feeling really relaxed to try and ease your pain so I thought it would be really lovely to give birth at home my partner was not in agreement with that he was like no you need to be somewhere in case something goes wrong somewhere medical so we'd kind of agreed on like a birthing center like a midwife led birthing center and I really wanted a water birth and then after we found out about Malia's heart defect we were told you have to be induced and it will be in Bristol um, and you won't be able to have a water birth because we'll need to monitor you we'll need to monitor baby So that was a little bit scary, just knowing that I had no say in what was going to happen. But I obviously completely appreciate that was for the well-being of myself and the baby. That was what needed to happen to keep us safe. Just knowing I wasn't going to be in my own county giving birth Mm. and hearing the word induction, although there are some positive stories out there from my own experience of friends who have had them, they haven't been that positive. So I was a little bit nervous about that. But um. I did lots of research and I listened to some hypnobirthing um, tapes about positive inductions and just tried to get myself prepared and had like my little bag ready with all the sort of calming sprays and foods and all the things that they recommend to help you relax. And I thought I knew the plan, but it changed. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, so you, you yeah. had an induction. So as you were coming towards the end of your pregnancy, you're kind of getting ready. And I imagine you had a date in your diary, right? For this is going to happen. Yeah. So Malia was due on the 21st of September and they wanted to induce me on the 12th of September, okay. just so I was in Bristol. We were in the right place, ready to go to the NICU, ready with people there to perform this first keyhole surgery that we were told she'd have to have as soon as she was born so we had the bags packed they were all ready by the door we were going to head up on the 11th to get there for the 12th but then on the morning of the 9th my waters broke while we were still in Plymouth so oh my goodness (laughs) not the plan (laughs) not the plan so we were in the wrong place and oh my goodness didn't really know what to do so it was a bit chaotic that day. So where were you when your water broke? Were you at home? Did it? Yeah, I was yeah. at home. I was on the way to the bathroom and um, realised what well, I thought they had broken, but I wasn't 100% sure. So I, again, woke up my partner, <laughs> who seems to be asleep while all these things are happening. And um, 
we called Bristol just to let them know that this had happened and then we rung our local hospital in Plymouth and they said you know come in but don't worry too much first births take a long time you know just come in when you can we'll confirm whether your waters have broken or not so this was it eight o'clock in the morning so we just sort of really slowly got ourselves together I had a shower I washed my hair we have a, a cat that we were trying to sort out and make sure everything was ready for her with all the different people that were going to come in and feed her for the next couple of months and um yeah we made our way to the local hospital and by the time we got there I was just completely soaked through so I knew that my waters had broken and they hooked me up to machines and just were making sure everything was okay and then there was a bit of confusion about what was going to happen next because originally we were told that my partner would have to drive us to Bristol so we were feeling a little bit apprehensive about that thinking about you know the fact that I could go into labour in the car and then we got the news that Bristol couldn't take us because we were early and they weren't expecting us yet. The NICU was full. There wasn't any space for us, but Southampton would take us and then she could have her open heart surgery there. Oh my gosh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So that was a massive, massive, (laughs) yeah, because we'd been to Bristol, we'd visited the hospital, we knew where we were going, we knew some of the doctors, some of the nurses, we knew where the charity accommodation was that we were hoping to stay at, and it's only like a two-hour drive from our house, so if we wanted to pop back and get things, and if people wanted to come and see us, it was a little bit easier than Southampton, we knew nothing about, we hadn't ever been there, it was further away, and they were saying an ambulance is going to come and take you to Southampton. I was thinking, right, okay, just trying to stay calm because I knew if I panicked, things would intensify and I just, yeah, just was trying to not think about it. And we were sort of talking about logistics of that when someone then came back and said, no, actually Bristol is going to take you and the ambulance will be here in 10 minutes. So we're like, right, okay. So my partner went ahead because he had he couldn't come in the ambulance. There wasn't enough room for him, but also all of our suitcases because we didn't just have the hospital bag. We had sort of months worth of yeah. resources to see us through. So he started going. Um, I was loaded onto a trolley bed to be taken to the ambulance. And it was at that point that I really felt like things had moved on really quickly and I could feel I didn't just not pain but it just felt like things had just intensified a bit and I asked for some paracetamol so I wasn't sure what would be available for me in the ambulance and I took paracetamol at 10 a.m and they said to me you know don't worry we've got loads of time baby probably won't even be here until tomorrow because first births usually take a long time so we headed off in the ambulance and we hit four different massive accidents on the M5 so what should have been maybe like an hour and a half journey took over four hours and by that point without me even knowing because nobody had checked me I'd gone from one to almost 10 centimeters fully dilated in four hours in the heat wave that we had last year with no pain relief and (laughs) being in the ambulance they weren't able to bypass anything was that not a possibility they were like squeezing through the middle, but very slowly. Oh, and and I imagine your partner's yeah. caught in the traffic, not able to yeah. signal to anyone. This is I'm here for a medical emergency reason. Okay, yeah, he was stuck. He was stuck way behind with all of the things that I had ready to help me get through labour with all of my like oh it's toys like... and snacks and things like that. So I yeah, I had nothing it... apart from what I'd remembered from hypnobirthing, which was just breathe. Oh my goodness. And was there any option for you to have gas and air in the ambulance? 
I asked if I could have the aperture at one point where it was starting to get quite intense and they said no there's nothing on board you'll have to wait until you get to Bristol but even then you'll have to be four centimeters because they didn't know that I was fully dilated at this point and I don't know if it's because I did hypnobirthing that I just was staying so calm that I don't think they quite realized how far gone I was because you know, even yeah it, it does it really it's something I hear all the time of the attitude that oh it's your first baby it's going to take a really long time your body hasn't done this before and yes that might be the vast majority of experience of most healthcare practitioners but there's always 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 going to be somebody who doesn't fit into that mold um mm. so i just think it it benefits nobody to assume that and if yeah, yeah i mean maybe if you were super calm and chilled then they genuinely didn't didn't think that you were that far along and of course you've never done this before so you don't know um but I guess nobody was thinking to give you any sort of examinations and you probably weren't thinking to ask for one at that point because you've been told it's going to take forever, right? Yeah, the, the midwife was counting my contractions, but um, she couldn't really get up out of her seat. She had to be strapped in because when they managed to wiggle through all of the accidents, they were trying to go as quick as they could. And I sort of held it together until we got literally outside the hospital and they opened the ramp and they were about to pull me down and... I was like, no, no, just wait, because I was in the middle of a contraction. I was just trying to breathe through it. And then they sort of wheeled me into the, the delivery suite and they were trying to talk to somebody at reception to say who I was. And at that point, I know now that it was transitional labour that I was experiencing. But mm. at the time, because I didn't know that was how far gone I was, I just felt this real panic. And I just, I screamed for the first time and I just mm. felt really out of control and just yeah I screamed so loudly and then I sort of got wheeled into a, a room quickly and um that was when they checked me and they said oh baby's head's right there uh just go with your body just pushed and I oh my like, goodness what about the epidural no no it's too too late you've done all the hard work just you know go with it and I was like but my partner's not even here yet I don't know where he is they're like it doesn't matter just oh do my it. gosh so, what, what an incredibly intense set of circumstances to have led to that moment because I mean it sounds kind of like really dramatic and almost something that could be in a soap opera or something and you almost want to to you almost want to laugh because it's so yep. amazing that those things could all happen and think what an amazing story but it's actually your experience and it's what has happened to you and in that moment it's not something that you think oh this will be a great story in a year yeah that must have been incredibly frightening and when you like transitional labor is frightening even if you are in a really calm quiet lovely environment so to suddenly be wheeled into a hospital without your partner without all the support that must have been a really difficult moment for you yeah I didn't like not feeling in control that threw me off a little bit because I really thought I had it down I was like yeah I'm smashing this I'm really I mean you did stay calm you did smash then, it <laughs> <laughs> you know you, yeah. you, I was just gonna say there must have also been a small part of you whether you, whether it was at the time or whether it was later that looked back and thought bloody hell like I did that I got you were so out of control and really being dictated to as to what you could and couldn't do but your body was just like I'm doing it so that is really amazing yeah yeah I, I am when I look back I, I am very proud of myself and also very grateful even though it was chaotic I'm grateful that it happened the way that it did because I was nervous about an induction and that could have taken a long time mm. whereas the fact that she came so quickly even though we were very unorganized it just felt yeah it was just over so quickly mm. because then by four o'clock in the afternoon she was born and That's it's amazing. 10 and 10 a.m that morning I was still in Plymouth only one centimeter so it happened very very quickly I didn't really have time to think too much about it but um oh gosh so so you got there they checked you you were fully dilated and and fully effaced and ready to go whenever your body felt the urge did you have those real sensations of I have to push and I can't not push or did you feel like you needed somebody to kind of walk you through it I felt at first there was a midwife there coaching 
me and I was just sort of trying to get into a position that felt comfy to me and then yeah the the feeling just overtook my body where it was just pushing on its own and um they were telling me just to go with it and I was just trying to focus on my breathing it's just such a strange experience it's something that if you haven't gone through it it's so hard to explain but my body just started pushing for me and I was just trying to go along with it and then luckily my partner showed up he was hurried down the corridor by someone at the desk who was still shouting after him you're gonna miss it run and he ran in and was very surprised that there was only one midwife with me because he knew what was going to happen when Mm. our our baby was born so he was like where is everybody and she was like no it's fine we've got everything's under control everything was going okay but then I sort of realized what I was doing it was kind of like I came back into my body and was like actually when my baby's born she's going to be taken away from me and Mm. all this horrible stuff's going to happen and right now she's safe but when she comes out of me she's not going to be safe and I just wasn't giving it all of my effort to push her out because I didn't want her to come out so not that I sort of stopped pushing but I just wasn't giving it my all and then the machine next to me beeped and the midwife looked really concerned and then pressed a buzzer and then the room just filled with people and she said that you know baby's heart rate was dropping and they were prepping me for an emergency c-section and then a doctor came in and I sort of was trying to talk through contractions saying I really want to try and deliver Mm -hmm. her myself because not just for my recovery because I knew that we'd be living in a hospital for a long time and having a c-section I didn't know how much recovery I would be able to have and I didn't want my partner to have to look after me as well as our baby when she was born. But also we were advised it would be best for baby to push all of the fluid out of her lungs and to give her the best start with her the heart condition that she has. So the doctor agreed to let me try for a few more minutes, but she would be using a Bentaus mm-hmm. uh, extraction cup to help me. So as she put that on baby's head, that was the first bit of gas and air I was able to have. So I lapped that up and then went a little bit dozy and still wasn't pushing properly. So that got taken away. And then I gave everything and she was born. And they said to us that she would be possibly blue and not crying, possibly not breathing. But she came out pink and well perfused and she was screaming the room Mm. down. And I actually got to have her on my chest for 60 seconds, which we were told that I I wouldn't be able to have skin to skin. That's wonderful put her straight onto my chest and um, we got a quick photo and I sort of had a quick look at her and then she got taken away and um, my partner and I had already discussed unless something bad had happened to me in labour he was going to go with her okay so that there was at least a familiar voice for her in the crowd of of people so he went with her and um, everyone else went because they were all there to look after her and then the doctor went and then the midwife went off to do something and I was literally just sat on my own for 40 minutes on the bed where I just given birth and oh. didn't know what to do I was just sort of watching the clock which is how I knew that it 40 minutes had passed and that's unbelievable it must have gone from sheer chaos and all the noise to silence and then what do you do with yourself and it was very that, surreal yeah and at that point was your baby taken straight to NICU uh, yeah. In order to kind of just make sure everything was stay- as stable as possible in order to kind of wait for surgery. Is that what was Yeah, happening? she didn't need the initial keyhole surgery that they thought that she would need because she was actually breathing really well on her own. So they took her straight down there and um, my partner was sort of sending me photos of her and it was just a really strange time because I kept looking down and like my stomach was not flat but that there wasn't a massive bump there anymore Mm. and the baby was but then she wasn't like in my arms and she wasn't next to me in the bed and it was just I I couldn't quite process that she was actually here because she wasn't with me yeah and it was a strange yeah just a really strange time yeah what happened next so 40 minutes later the midwife came back and gave me a cup of tea and some toast and then she started getting me ready to have a bath and she said once I had eaten something and I'd had a wash and I felt up to it I could go down to the NICU to see baby then my partner came back while I was getting ready for a bath so he helped me 
and then they asked if I wanted a wheelchair um, and I said no I felt okay so I kind of hobbled down and we went into the NICU which was really dark there were lots of sort of red lights it was beeping we were told to wash our hands at the sink there were a few other families in there which I tried not to sort of look at Mm. and uh, my partner took me over to where our daughter was and there was a doctor working on her and he was sort of trying to put ECG monitors onto her chest and I got about two meters away and I had a really funny turn and I couldn't feel my hands or my feet anymore. Mm. They just really slowly coming numb and heavy and felt really uh, tingly, like I had pins and needles and I felt really dizzy and I had to sit down and the nurse called for someone to come and get me and I had to be taken straight back up to the maternity floor. So I didn't even get to see her then because of this sort of funny turn that I had taken. Mm. They wanted to keep me in overnight for observation and they did some checks on me and said that I had um, carbon dioxide in my blood and I was severely dehydrated because I hadn't had anything to drink since 7am that morning and I'd given birth in a heat heat wave in an ambulance. So I had to be put on a drip and um, they checked my heart as well and said that they think they could hear a potential heart murmur. So I had to stay and wait for a doctor to check that out which it turned out it wasn't but um just throw another thing in the mix you know that was yeah just a whole other I couldn't even process that at that time I was like I'm not even gonna I'm just gonna put a pin in that because yeah there's too much other stuff to think about and then it got to about midnight and my partner updated me saying that Malia was going to be taken via ambulance from the building that I was in with the NICU down the hill down the road to Bristol Children's Hospital where she'd go into the PICU the pediatric intensive care unit so he went with her but you can't stay overnight in the intensive care units there aren't any beds there so we were trying to figure out where he was going to go because we hadn't got any charity accommodation sorted yet because you can only apply when you actually have your baby so I was sort of sat trying to fit in forms to get us a place so we were thinking is he going to sleep in the car is there going to be a hotel for him to go into and then one of the really lovely nurses sort of took pity on us and said I'll I'll put another bed in here and he can come Mm. and sleep with you so he came back up and we both were in the same room but I don't think any of us really slept because just knowing that nobody was with her and she was completely on her own without her mum or her dad it's her first night of life she hadn't been fed Mm. I had a drip attached to my arm so I couldn't really get comfy anyway so the next morning he shot out of there I was like just go run down the hill check that she's okay send me a photo let me know and he was with her then all day but they were so busy on the maternity floor which isn't their fault at all but um I didn't actually get discharged until 6 p.m that night so I had to wait all day until I could leave to go and meet her it just was awful just knowing that she was there and I hadn't seen her for almost like 25 hours or something like that and my partner kept having to come up the hill and collect all the colostrum that I was trying to express into syringes and then Mm -hmm. he'd go down and feed it to her and send me a video of him feeding her and um I was going to ask about your feeding intentions and what you had planned and and how that went you sort of mentioned that you were expressing some colostrum to give to her. That must have been, Mm -hmm. I mean, from conversations I've had before, my understanding is that that can be quite a nice thing in terms of, although you're not able to be with your baby, you are able to give them something via, you know, another method. So was it, was it quite nice seeing your partner being able to give her something that was from you? Yeah. Yeah. That it was, it was really sweet that he was able to get involved and that I knew that I was giving her something that was really nutrient dense and that was filling her up even though it was only a small amount the plan was for me to I wanted to breastfeed but they had to measure all of her feed so it my express breast milk was going through her NG tube um into her tummy so when I finally got to go down and meet her that was the first thing I was given was the breast pump and shown where the family room was and I was trying to pump but I'd never done it before and my milk actually hadn't come in yet so it took a few it took a few days 
and then we got the hang of it and we kind of worked around each other with me sort of sitting and pumping and then my partner would get the sterilizer bag and put everything in and go microwave it while I would label all of her bottles and go put it in the freezer and someone would then come and take it out and put it through her tube and it was yeah it, it was a very repetitive situation until uh, five days after she was born when they had done a routine x-ray and they saw that there was some swelling in her tummy and they said that she had a condition called neck which is, stands for necrotizing endocolitis which okay. is where part of her bowel was dying and then they had to stop all feeds because feeding makes it worse so she immediately went to uh, nil by mouth um, and they oh, said gosh. that she would go on to triple antibiotics and her surgery would have to be delayed until the neck was completely gone because when they do the open heart surgery they would be stopping her heart which then wouldn't be sending blood to her bowel and then if that happened it could just it could be life-threatening oh, they said I've, was- yeah I've not heard of that and is that something that is in any way related to her heart condition or was it just another thing that was random? It was just another thing. Yeah. Just another random unlucky thing Um, because that on its own is just, I haven't even unpicked that yet. Even a year down the line, I haven't even sort of dug into that journey of things because I remember asking the consultant, you know, what, what is this? What's going on here? And he was like, well, she might need a stoma bag. I was like, well, what's the worst case scenario? And they're like, well, it could be, it's life could be life threatening. It's a serious thing. So before she'd even had her open heart surgery, she had to sort of battle through this condition. And because she was starving, because she wasn't allowed any food, I then couldn't really cuddle her because she could just smell my milk every time I picked her up and was trying to sort of nuzzle into me because she was so hungry. So I just didn't pick her up for five days and we just sort of sat sat next to her just watching her cry because she was so hungry. It was awful. It was, yeah, really, really really horrible and to push the surgery back as well was just really painful Mm. and I know that's nobody's fault at all they're obviously doing all the right things and following all the right procedures to help her combat the neck but um we thought we were she was going to have it done within the first sort of couple of days and then it got pushed back and you've got a goal you know everything you've been through you've got a goal post and then to suddenly have that moved right at the last moment is just like, it's just another blow, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Cause she was doing good. If she'd had the surgery when it was originally planned, she didn't even look like she was sick, which is another reason why I'm so glad that her heart defect was picked up because otherwise we wouldn't have even known we'd had a, a poorly baby because she was doing so well. But by the end of battling through neck, you know, she'd had jaundice. She was starving her breathing was so bad she had to go on to CPAP to oxygen um she just really needed the surgery but then it was the queen's funeral and it was a bank holiday so they weren't able to operate at the weekend and then it was a bank holiday Monday so they were pushing it back even further because there weren't enough consultants in oh it's just like admin bollocks isn't it it's like this is your baby and we're talking about a bank holiday like get get in the bin that's ridiculous you just it want was to be like to I hear. don't fucking care <laughs> that there's a funeral yeah. it doesn't matter to you at that moment no it was that was really hard to hear because her her nurse was really pushing for her surgery to happen because she really was poorly and then the consultant was saying that they would do the keyhole surgery that they would normally do when she was born which meant cutting into her groin, putting a cardiac catheter up through her body into her heart, inflating a balloon and then ripping it backwards and forwards across the hole that was already there in her heart to make it bigger, to allow the blood to mix, to sustain her for longer. And me and Malia's dad were just like, why would we put her through that and have a whole other procedure when she's going to have open heart surgery in a few days? Why can't you just bring the surgery forwards? And eventually that's what they did. They called in an uh, an on-call consultant and then they called us. um, We'd gone out for a walk because we were just so overwhelmed by everything. And they called us and said, yeah, her surgery is tomorrow. So um, we went back Mm -hmm. up and gave her lots of cuddles and sort of stayed with her as late as we could. And then we went back to our accommodation, which 
was now opposite the hospital. We were living in a hotel, um, but we managed to get into the charity accommodation so we could see her window sort of mm-hmm. from across the road. And yeah, neither of us slept last night. They, that night they said, get there for 8am. Her surgery should start by 8.30. So we got there at about half seven. And then 8am came and went, 8.30 came and went, 9 o'clock came and went. We'd got ourselves all ready. We'd said goodbye to her. We'd sort of had a cry. We'd done everything we needed to do. And there was an emergency before us. So she was getting even more delayed. And that was really awful because we were just we just needed her to go she needed the surgery and she needed to be fixed she needed to get better and just the waiting around was so painful and then they just appeared I think it was 10 o'clock in the morning and said we're taking her now you can't come with her so give her her kiss give her a kiss here and then they went to take her away and I said could I have her blanket back so that I could have a smell to keep expressing and um yeah that the next part was it was one of the hardest memories actually looking back I'm having lots of counseling at the moment and EMDR and the focus of my last session was all about the next moment because walking behind her bed as she was wheeled through the doors with the nurse pushing her knowing that she was you know, going to be put to sleep and then essentially her chest was going to be cut open her heart was going to be stopped and then it would either start again or it wouldn't and we had signed consent forms saying you know, there's a risk of stroke there's a risk mm. of, of cardiac arrest just not knowing what was going to happen and I remember just I f- fell to my knees sort of in the middle of the hospital and just cried so much and my partner took me back over to the bay where her bed was and at that moment, her surgeon that was on call walked in through the doors about to follow them into the theatre to do the surgery. And he looked at me because I was crying so loudly. And he then registered who I was mm. and what he was about to do. And we sort of made eye contact. And I was thinking, what do I even say to you? You're the person that ultimately is about to save my daughter's life. And I just remember like, looking up at him through tears and just mouthing thank you Mm. and he just sort of nodded and then kept walking and then her nurse Malia's nurse came back with her blanket and also her little teddy her little seahorse teddy that Mm. she had beside her and um we just spent the next seven hours walking around Bristol just literally crying holding her teddy sniffing her blanket trying to eat but we couldn't trying to talk but we couldn't we went for a walk but I just cried the whole time. It was really eerily quiet because it was a bank holiday. It was the Queen's funeral. So bells were ringing from the church. It all felt very... That's eerie, uh, isn't it? Yeah, very strange. And they told us to expect five hours and it was seven hours in and we still hadn't heard anything. So at this point, you just, we just didn't even know if she was alive or not. So every time the phone sort of buzzed, we were sort of jumping up and then when we finally saw the hospital number we answered and the first thing the surgeon said was do you want to come in and talk to us or do you want to talk over the phone and I just remember saying tell me is she alive or not and he said she's in critical condition but she's stable so give us an hour and then you can come over and see her so um we went over an hour later and I was just so relieved I mean she looked the worst that she has ever looked but it was the first time I saw her and didn't cry just because I knew that it was done like the surgery was done she was alive even though she was intubated her eyes were sort of taped down her chest was cut open there were chest strains with blood coming out of her and I just was so relieved and it was the first time I actually was able to just not sob when I saw Mm. her because I was just so happy that it was done Um, so I'm so grateful to every single person that helped I've said this before, but it's just unbelievable that, like you said, that is the moment when your child is is taken and it's so wildly out of your control that there is nothing you can do. And that's all you want to do is control the world for your children, right? But this bloke or or woman, you know, the, the surgeon, it's just their job. They just walk in and they just do it. Like, it's just their job. And you're just like, 
no, this is this is my whole world. And this is just like, oh hey, it's a Friday at work. You know, it's it's unfathomable, like the 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 scale of what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I owe my daughter's life to mm. this man. So it's yeah. it's incredible. Um yeah. so what did recovery look like from then on? Were things a bit smoother and could they was it was it on the up from that point? It, it was. They said as far as operations for her her condition go, it was a really successful one. They were able to close her chest very quickly. Bits of plastic started to come out of her because of the increased risk of infection. They just wanted to get out her breathing tube. They got rid of the chest drains. Uh, her umbilical catheter came out and then she was moved upstairs the following day out of intensive care to just a high dependency ward. So the nurse ratio went from one to one to one to four. And you could stay in that room, but there weren't beds. You just had Mm -hmm. like chairs that you could sleep in. But we agreed that one of us would always stay with her at nighttime because of just that drop in care. Not drop in care, but just supervision. And I didn't want her to be on her own at night if she was crying or needed a nappy change. We wanted someone to be there with her. So, yeah, things were going okay. But then she did have an episode of um, SVT, which stands for Superventricular Tracheocardia tachycardia which is where her heart rate all of a sudden clicked into a different rhythm and it was going at sort of almost 300 beats per minute um which can sometimes happen after surgery but at the time we didn't know what was happening we just saw her heart suddenly click um on the, the monitor start beeping the room filled with like 12 people. They were drawing things up in syringes. They were putting ice all over her head. I thought she was having a heart attack. And I just, yeah, just remember walking out into the corridor and just breaking down again and just thinking. <sighs> after everything yeah, you've I done. Just can't, yeah. I just can't do this. I can't lose her after what she's just been through. And then a consultant talked us through what had happened and said that, you know, she'd need to be on medication for the next year and we'd need to listen in with a stethoscope every time we changed her nappy just to make sure she hasn't gone back into SVT which she hasn't we're a year down the line we stopped the medicine we're still listening in regularly but not with every nappy change now so that's a relief it was a very scary time but if you were to look at Milia now you would not know unless yeah. you saw her scar poking out from the top of her chest she is a firecracker she is absolutely Mm -hmm. full of beans full of life so fiery so strong-willed everybody always comments on just how resilient and brave and strong she is and I just say well yeah she had to fight for her life so now she's Mm -hmm. just going to be a fighter in life which is exhausting because oh my goodness she's tricky but I would not (laughs) have it any other way because I know that whatever she wants to do in life now she's just going to smash it and nothing is ever going to compare to that for her like even now when she sort of bumps her head or you know goes for her immunization she's sort of like Mm -hmm. yeah and (laughs) and do you think it's changed your perception um of how maybe you thought you'd parent previous to you know knowing that this condition was part of your forever lives Mm. do you think maybe it's changed your view on things maybe the world and you know what things really matter yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not sweating the small stuff at all. Things that used to be a really big deal now, I just, I don't need sleep over anymore. And there was, uh, I read something on one of the sort of NICU pages where it was like your pain threshold actually changes. And I, I just really, I feel that because things that maybe used to be an eight out of 10 for me, of something that would either physically hurt or I'd worry about or I'd get stressed about are now like one out of 10 mm-hmm. because the 10 out of the 10 out of 10 for me now is the fact that my baby had open heart surgery and she nearly died so many times and I had to see her have needles put into her constantly and be poked and prodded and starved and nothing will ever ever compare to mm-hmm. that so everything else just 
yeah pales doesn't it seems it? easier yeah yeah and I mean you mentioned that you are getting some support in terms of mental health and I imagine PTSD from seeing all those kinds of things is that something that you were able to access quite quickly afterwards or, or did you kind of come away from it and then think actually no I need support for this they offered me some help while I was in hospital, which I didn't feel at the time like I needed to accept. But I think because I was just sort of numb and in sort of autopilot mode, just literally trying to survive, I wasn't really thinking about myself. It was only when we got home and only when she actually started to get better that I was starting to process those emotions. And I contacted the perinatal mental health support team and there was a seven month wait for me to be seen to have an intervention. So in that time, I had some private counselling, which helped. And then when they finally saw me, they offered me EMDR, also counselling alongside that. And then I'm starting another intervention soon where I get to take Malia with me. And we're just basically trying to build sort of some positive positive memories and just it's just a space where I can go and sort of say how I'm feeling and not feel like I'm going to be judged Mm -hmm. because some of the things that I do feel I have a lot of anger is what I've discovered from these sessions a lot of almost bitterness that this was our experience and that we missed out on so many things and sort of even though my child is alive now and she's healthy, it doesn't undermine undermine like the profound loss that we had of yeah. all of the grief, all of the trauma, all of the heartache, the fact that we didn't get to go home straight away, the fact we didn't get to have skin to skin, the fact that we were so isolated because she was so vulnerable. We couldn't go to baby groups. We couldn't have families come over. It was just, yeah, just a really mm. scary time. And um, I'm really thankful for all of the, the help that I've been able to have to try and get myself Mm. better and I definitely I'm in a better place but I'm by no means where anywhere near Mm. where I was and I don't actually know if I ever will be I think it's something that changes you for the rest of your life you're just you're forever changed because even though you're home and she's okay that victory is very complex because you're just constantly worried you just never know what's going to happen like nothing bad should happen but it's not saying that it it couldn't so yeah. well it's like you said you know you'd already fallen into that unlucky portion your brain runs away with itself doesn't it and goes well what if mm. I'm what if I'm in the next unlucky bit and the next you know it's controlling that worry and like you said I don't know quite if you can ever fully get away from that once you've been living it for so long yeah thank you so so much for sharing your story with me um it's just these moments are so important and so valid and I think yeah the more we can talk about them I think it's really important for other parents as well who I mean either parents who are about to embark upon something like this having received a diagnosis or maybe friends and family who don't know how to support or understand a, a friend's experience so Something that I like to end with is to ask a question. If you could give somebody one piece of advice who is about to have a baby, and in this case, maybe we'll say somebody who has maybe just discovered that their baby does have a heart defect, what is the one piece of advice or one resource that you might recommend to them or just something that you'd like to say to that that person listening? I would say to that person, definitely reach out to other heart parents and there are lots of groups online through Facebook or Instagram or through charities such as Tiny Tickers because these this particular group of people just they know what you're going through and you will feel validated and you will feel understood and you will feel seen by these people because they know what you've gone through and going through this experience you feel like you're existing on the outside of motherhood you can't necessarily relate to friends who are having babies at the same time and you will ache and you will grieve but you will also heal and leaning on those other NICU parents or heart parents will give you some solidarity and hopefully it will help you along with your journey as well and um, however you need to heal 
go with it. For me, it, it was reaching out and having help, but also it's sharing my story. So it's coming on here, it's sharing things online and talking to people about what, our journey as well and just know that you're worthy of the space to process what you went through out loud. Mm, beautiful words. So thank you so much again. Yeah, and just wish you and your firecracker all the love and the luck. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Lucy. Thank you so much, Joe, for sharing your birth story with us today. God, I just find it so incredible that conditions like Malia's, which were once a death sentence, can now be treated so effectively that children are able to live completely normal lives. And friends from across the world are always completely amazed at the fact that life-saving surgery like this is free, thanks to our NHS. Now, I'm not usually too politically outspoken, apart from with friends and family in my personal circle, and certainly not on this podcast. However, when it comes to issues like the NHS, I really struggle to stay quiet. Please, please, please just don't underestimate how vital free healthcare is for all of us, but particularly for parents and babies who are navigating situations like this that we cannot even imagine. Imagine having to have a baby who is sick, or even just to pay for the process of having a baby and worrying about finances on the top of all of that. Our current Conservative government have made it pretty clear that they would like to privatise the NHS, and I just cannot let this happen. I really don't mind who you vote for, it's none of my business, but if we can just get these greedy, evil bastards out, that would make me very happy, thank you. Anyway, thank you so, so much for listening once again. You can connect with me as usual on Instagram at Real Birth Podcast. I'm on Facebook under The Real Birth Podcast. My website is realbirth.co.uk and you can contact me through a form there as well. If you would like to submit your birth story for consideration, please do. There is a form on my website, which is realbirth.co.uk, as I mentioned. Yeah, we're always looking for new and interesting stories to feature. So if you or someone you know would like to share their birth story, please do get in touch that's all we have time for but i will see you next time with another amazing birth story bye Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.